Hello and welcome to another Sustainable Wine Roundtable podcast. My name is Tom Outram and I'm the Operations and Partnerships Manager of the Sustainable Wine Roundtable. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Randall Graham. We're at your relatively new estate. Perhaps you could start with you describing where we are situated and how you came across this site. We're at a site which I call Popolishum. Actually, the Mutsun Indians many centuries ago called this neighborhood around San Juan Batista Popolishum which is also in the Mutsun language, the alternative translation of the, of the word is paradise. So the other interesting geographical feature is we are directly adjacent to the San Andreas Fault. In fact, the San Andreas Fault is the northern boundary of the property. So things move and, <laughs> and groove, if As you will, seen. which actually makes the property geologically quite interesting because you've got a lot of reassignment of soil types. So we have a lot of diversity in our soil typology. And the other thing that's interesting, this is in a funny county called San Benito County, which is kind of a mysterious county. Nobody in the Bay Area has hardly even heard of it. But we're actually at the conflux of Monterey County, Santa Clara County, Santa Cruz, and San Benito, the town of San Juan Batista. So we're sort of in the middle of everything and in the middle of nothing. This place is sort of about boundaries or limits the edge of things on many levels. If that's not too metaphoric. We're sitting outside on a perfect sunny day in, in California and it's beautifully still. So we're able to do this podcast in serene environment. Perhaps, uh, Randall, you could start with maybe telling us how your journey in wine started and what first drew you to the Rhone grape varieties, which you became so famous for. I got into the wine business rather by accident. I was a liberal arts major, a philosophy major in university, extremely practical formation. And I wandered into a wine shop in Beverly Hills. The first thing they asked me was, would you like an open-to-charge account? And I thought, yeah, that sounds good. I was 20 years old at the time, not quite of legal age. I ended up working in the wine shop and was exposed to the great wines of the world at a very tender age. And I thought to myself, this is something I want to be involved in on a deeper level. So I ended up going back to school to uh, UC Davis to study uh, viticulture and, and winemaking. And the rest, as they say, is history. And the Rhone varieties? What oh, the Rhone varieties. So the Rhone varieties that were an act were a happy accident. I started in the business in search of the great American Pinot Noir. That was my obsession, my idée fixe, mantra. And I was thwarted at every turn in the road. Luckily, I made the acquaintance of the Albanian wine merchant Kermit Lynch, who had a little shop in Albany, California. It was really Kermit who alerted me to the existence of Rhone grapes. He said, you, you might want to try these in California. And this was in the early 80s. Nobody really knew much about these grapes. Pinot Noir was not working out for me so well. And I wanted to be in the wine business, so I, it was kind of a leap of faith and imagination to imagine that Rhone varieties uh, grown successfully in California. Now, obviously, it's clear that they can be and are, but it was not so evident back in the day. And how would you describe your approach to farming and sort of philosophy around that subject? Try to get it right in the vineyard is sort of the main tenet. The more you can make work perfectly integrate in the vineyard, the less work you have to do in the, in the winery. And generally, the less you have to do in the winery, the more successful the wine. Which is not to say that you need to sit on your hands all the time, but if you can make a wine with minimal intervention, the wine will tend to be more seamless and have more integrity than a wine that's been grossly manipulated, if you will. What do you consider are the most important aspects when selecting a vineyard site? Mojo. <laughs> 
sight has to have mojo, it has to have energy, it has to have intrinsic personality. I've given a lot of thought as to what it constitutes terroir. And tautologically, every place has a sense of place. The question is how articulate and how interesting is that place. Terroirs are more interesting than others. So I'm interested in terroirs that have more personality and more expressiveness. And I think one of the keys to a great terroir is the site's ability to solve the vine's problems most of the time without need for heroic intervention. So for example, any site that leads to greater degree of homeostasis is a great terroir. So in other words, it has water holding capacity, holds the water tightly not so liberally and it's kind of like a parent that overindulges their kids with their allowance you know you want to give it to them not parsimoniously but thoughtfully the soil has to give up its water discreet you know with with some degree of discretion you've clearly been able to sustain your journey in wine over plus four decades how would you explain to your listeners what your definition is of sustainability and how does it reflect your practices in the vineyard and winemaking process Well, I think sustainability has to do with integrity and differentiation. If you're making the same product as everyone else, you're essentially making a generic product, which I don't think is sustainable. I think you need to find out what differentiates you from everyone else and then figure out how to accentuate that and amplify that. Hopefully those qualities are positive qualities and not negative qualities. Then you end up with the pinotage paradox, (laughs) which is, anyways... Your site has thrifty enough to produce a reliable yield. But again, I think it has to do with this distinctiveness of what you're doing. And it has to be based on real differences, not just superficial cosmetic differences. You know, like the addition of new oak is a cosmetic difference, but the articulation of soil characteristics is something that is more substantial and I think has greater sustainability, if you will. And in that context, are you concerned about climate change with regard to making your wines? Any rational person should be. We're working with varieties that tend to be a lot more supple, if you will, in light of climatic challenges, ones that don't sunburn as easily, ones that don't freak out under drought, that have generally grown up in a warmer site. We're lucky that this particular site is generally not subject to extreme temperatures, uh, neither too cold nor too hot, Goldilocks-like in that in that respect. And then, of course, our training methods are old-fangled. Virtually all the vineyard is head-trained, which I think is a good strategy for heat and drought. It tends to protect the vines against um, extreme weather events. And many winemakers, as we know, don't like necessarily following other people's rules, whether this be organic or biodynamic or even sustainability standards. What are your thoughts on this as an issue? There are people who are really good followers and people who are not, generally not a particularly good follower. But I think if you have a set of principles and integrity and are consistent to those principles, you're in pretty good shape. So I I think my philosophical bent is to true sustainability. I don't want to burn bridges in my practice. I want to behave with integrity. I want to be able to proudly share with anyone and be transparent in our practice. I don't know if you know, but I was the first one in California to do ingredient labeling. Before Ridge. Before Ridge. You have to believe in what you do and not be cynical. The, the world is not exactly thundering at my back to my chagrin. Oh, well, <laughs> maybe someday. 
if you're transparent, you are become a more rigorous winemaker, more rigorous vineyardist. If you have to indicate everything that you've added to your wine, mm. you're going to try to figure out a way of not having to add so much or anything to your wine, minimal amount. And are you looking to other regions from around the world for new learnings and winemaking techniques? Yeah, I mean, I've been around the block. To my luck, I've had a chance to spend a lot of time in Europe in French cellars and Italian cellars. French, to their credit, are exceptionally rational individuals. Everything that they do has a reason. I mean, having said that, as I mentioned before, I think one of my ambitions is to make the winemaking end of things as simplified as possible, be in a position of having to do as little as possible and letting the grapes speak for themselves as, as much as possible. Most recently, you've collaborated or started a sort of a joint venture, if you want to call it, with Mazro and the language of yes. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, no, so this is not an obvious association. I was approached by Joseph C. Gallo, scion of the Gallo family, about doing a collaborative venture. I was, of course, quite intrigued. And Gallo has incredible resources, a lot of really smart people involved. So it's been a real pleasure to collaborate on this project having been a solo act for so many years. We're getting into some new ground. I mean, we're working with a grape variety called Tiburin, also known as Rosese di Dolce Acqua, on this project and having incredible success. So I'm thrilled that Gallo has been so open to the idea of this oddball grape that no one's ever heard of. It's, it's great to have that insight. Perhaps we could finish with maybe you describing the wines we have here and what were your drivers also for setting up Bouchon and what most excites you about this project? So the wines we have in front of us, one is a state vineyard. It was not commercialized. I only made one barrel, 2017 Grenache Blanc, Grenache Gris, coferment in an egg and bottled without filtration. And the wine is showing really well. It's got really nice natural acidity, which I think is an understatement. A lot of persistence, a lot of acid, some complexity and some nice aromatic development. It's got God only knows how many years ahead of it. So I'm very happy with that. And then the other one that I poured is the language of yes, Senso Syrah, on passerillage. Strictly speaking, I'm not sure this is really on passerillage, but this was kind of a cito style. We air dried the fruit for three weeks post harvest, uh, concentrating the sugars a bit and lignifying the tannins mostly. So I'm very happy with the wine. So as far as what we're doing here in Popolishum, this is intriguing. I think the most interesting thing we're doing at the moment is the self-crosses. We're doing self-crossed Serene and self-crossed Tiburin and self-crossed Pignolo. The idea that I have is kind of a, it's a little complicated, but the idea is that a genetically diverse population may well be a strategy of unique complexity that could not be achieved any other way. It's kind of uncharted territory, and it's not clear how efficient it is, especially if some of your vines are not producing any fruit at all. But I think it's a strategy for maybe allowing, in virtue of clonal diversity, maybe allowing greater degree of site expression than you would otherwise achieve, and also achieving more just complexity in virtue of the different tones that are being produced by the different biotypes. I mean, this is really trying to answer the question, how do you discover something new in the wine business? It's like writing a novel. All the great books have already been written, it seems. All the great wines have already been made. What is it that one can potentially do 
that hasn't been done before. It's a new way of thinking about making wine. It's a new opportunity to do something that's never been seen or tasted before. So, and of course, it has to end up tasting delicious. It kind of goes without saying. Not just be weird and new and different, but also delicious. Well, I can definitely confirm that to our listeners that it is delicious. And Randall's obviously continuing to innovate and, and be a pioneer in so many ways. Do look up the work he's doing. If you're interested to find out more, we will share a link in the podcast channel for more details. Randall, it's been a pleasure to meet with you today and to be able to visit your relatively new vineyard. Yeah, look forward to tasting more of your wine. Piacere. Thank you.